You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This is a re-presentation of a recording that I did with Rabbi Skaist uh, a number of years ago. It was right before the COVID outbreak, actually, in the uh, Hanukkah beforehand, when a spate of terrible anti-Semitic crimes were happening. And Rabbi Skaist and I had a discussion about whether this was indeed something that was new. Was it something different? Was it something that we should be more concerned about than in the past? Well, obviously, uh, the world has changed quite a bit in the last couple of years. But as we've seen, as the pandemic receded, uh, there has been an incredible uptick in, once again, anti-Semitic attacks, specifically in New York City and in the Crown Heights neighborhood, as I'm going to play here for you a recording uh, based from the Jerusalem Post website. Brooklyn Hasidic man gang beaten in front of five-year-old son. A Hasidic man was violently beaten by three men in Brooklyn following parking altercation. The victim's five-year-old son was in the car when his father was attacked. A Hasidic man was brutally beaten by a group of three men on Wednesday in the Crown Heights neighborhood of Brooklyn. The victim, who has been identified as Crown Heights community activist Yosef Hershkop, reportedly got into an altercation with the perpetrators after hitting their car while trying to park on Montgomery Street, according to Kolov. The three men proceeded to follow Hershkop as he looked for another parking spot and eventually caught up with him. Hershkop initially spoke to the men, who demanded money for the damage done to their vehicle. Violence ensued after Hershkop suggested filing a police report, Hamodia reported. The assault on Hershkop. As seen in the video, the three men punched Hershkop multiple times as he sat in his car before another man crossed the street and appeared to de-escalate the situation. A neighborhood patrol volunteer who interacted with the victim shortly after the beating told Hamodia that Hershkop's face was busted up and that he was in a state of shock, unable to speak coherently. The victim's five-year-old son was in the car during the attack, Percy Olof. Crown Heights Shomrim tweeted that our volunteers responded to a brutal assault by a few thugs. Despite a fast response the victim was in shock and wasn't able to give details. The Shomrim reported that the New York Police Department's NYPD 71st Precinct responded to the scene as well. As of Wednesday evening, the NYPD and Crown Heights Shomrim were searching for the vehicle of the perpetrators, which is described as a silver sedan with a smashed rear left window covered with plastic. Those with information are encouraged to call the Shomrim at 718-774-3333. Hatsala transported the victim to Maimonides Hospital after the incident. Hershkop was released from hospital Wednesday night and is currently at home, Yakov Berman, a public relations official for Chabad Lubavitch headquarters, told the Jerusalem Post. A history of violence. This incident was far from the first time that Hasidic Jews have been assaulted in Crown Heights, a neighborhood that is predominantly inhabited by Chabad Hasidim and African Americans and has a history of racial tensions. In January, a 21-year-old yeshiva student was randomly punched in the face by a young black man. A similar incident occurred in May, when another perpetrator physically assaulted a rabbi and said, the Nazis should have killed you Jews. Anti-Semitic hate crimes in the U.S. have nearly tripled since 2015, with much of the hostility directed towards Jews being posted on the internet. Nevertheless, violent crimes continue to be a serious issue. You can see this is definitely something that is not going away. And I thought that the examination that Rabbi Skaist and I uh, had uh, would be germane to this area. And um, I encourage you uh, to listen. And uh, at the end of this pro, at the end of that conversation, a special treat, you're going to be able to hear um, the video, actually the audio from the video of Rabbi Skaist's protocol song, which I think is, uh, will bring the point home about the lack of understanding about who we are and how careful we have to be, especially now during the three weeks. From the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT, this is Partsufim, exploring the faces of halachic Judaism. 
People are not identical and neither are their opinions. Well, let's see how like-minded we are today. I'm Shmuel Skeist. And I'm Avram Kivalevich, and today we're talking about the uptick, the surge in anti-Semitism across the globe, and specifically in the tri-state area. And part of the reason I want to talk to you tonight, Rav Shmuel, is about something that occurred, I believe, less than a mile from your house, the attack on the seventh night of Hanukkah at the Kosovo Rebbe's Bismedrish, Rabbi Rottenberg's Bismedrish, where a man wielding a machete entered the house, slashed a number of people, some of them to the point where they're talking about the person never recovering. And it is scared, according to reports, many people, especially to see them from even sending their children to school in a normal fashion, and has basically rocked all of the Jewish world. So let's take, let's get your input on this, considering you were so close to the action. So first of all, um, my son was davening Myriv right across the street when the attack happened. And so it's not just that it was close to my house. I had a very close relative right there. Baruch Hashem, he was fine and not involved in any way. I think everyone in Muncie was shaken up quite a bit. And I think that because of the sort of the brutality of the attack and in, in your house, I mean, Muncie's a pretty safe place. Muncie's not the kind of place where you feel like, oh, no, you know, if, if the door is not locked. We're in danger. So to have something like this happen is uh, is really shocking. What I'd like to start talking about is is um, if we if we're going to have this conversation is really about the fact that I'm not so sure that it's so different than what's been happening all along in this uh, country. All along, meaning from what time? I can only speak about my my all along, which is uh, in my lifetime. Uh-huh. I I think that uh, you would agree that anyone who walks this country dressed as a from Orthodox Jew wearing a yarmulke and looking like a Jewish person, you've experienced people screaming out of cars, Heil Hitler or things like that, or dirty Jew. This is not something that uh, is suddenly, like some of the newspapers try to imply that this is because of the rhetoric of some of our leaders, that somehow this is uh, causing additional anti-Semitism. I don't buy that. I've been subject to this kind of anti-Semitism all my life. However, when it comes to machete-wielding maniacs charging into your house in the middle of Hanukkah Lich, or as happened in Pittsburgh last year, somebody entering a shul and opening fire, or in, in California, and there was another one more recently. In Jersey City, of course, the attack. Jersey City, in Jersey right, Jersey City. City attack. Um, so these attacks are much more serious than what I'm talking about, but I'm not convinced that they're that different, and I'll explain why. I think that 20 years ago, you didn't have school shootings. You didn't have people perpetrating violence in the way that they are today. So I, I grew up in, in various places, but uh, spent enough time in Brooklyn to know that Brooklyn kids who grew up in the 80s or 70s in, uh, you know, had... 100%, well, even in Borough Park, uh, street fighting was a very common uh, occurrence. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. and we didn't call it yeah. hate crimes in those days, but it was clearly because we were Jews. We were not targeted because for any other reason. So I think that what's happening today is sort of a reflection of the times that we're in. Today, people are acting out in a more violent way, and therefore it is... It makes sense that there's a big difference between, you know, uh, some juvenile delinquent and some kids that are, you know, pushing for turf and not liking to see these other kids there and then actually searching online uh, and searching out 
a, a Jewish yeshiva or a Rebbe's house, somebody driving 20, 30 miles in order to find the Jewish target. Uh, I think that's, uh, as you say, it's reflective of the time, but it's a lot scarier than the fact that this is the dividing line of, of the neighborhood between um, where the Jews live and where the non-Jews live, and you got to be careful when you go into that neighborhood. I think uh, this, is a, this is something of a course of a different color. And it's, I think it's in that way, uh, you never know when, where the enemy is going to actually rear its head and come out and attack you, right? Yeah, so, and, I, and I, I agree that it's very different, but my point is that it's a reflection of the times we live in. I mean, people in, in regular schools across the country don't know if their school is going to be the next target of somebody who decides to do a school shooting, right? So, so is there something, again, as, as Orthodox Jews, as from Jews, as B'nai Teira, what, what, what's supposed to be the response here? I, I know that right after the CMI Shas, a couple of days later, a number of Jewish council organizations wanted to urge as many Jews as possible to be involved. I think it was a week ago from the time we're recording this, a, a huge rally uh, crossing one of the bridges into Manhattan. Um, and I think they got about twenty-five to 30,000 people compared to the 90 or so thousand that were at MetLife. And the New York Times actually emphasized the fact or underscored the fact that there weren't that many Hasidic Jews as that were part of the rally. Bill de Blasio and a number of politicians spoke, and they, de Blasio spoke about the fact that anti-Semitism needs to be spoken out against. It's a planet-wide scourge that needs to be protested and stamped out and without any tolerance whatsoever. But there were very few Hasidic Hevra who were really – who have been the victims in Crown Heights and in Borough Park in uh, many of these attacks. As as you mentioned that, let's not forget that under Dinkins' administration, we had the Crown Heights riot Crown Heights. with a sarcastic thanks to Al Sharpton and his thugs who murdered Yankel Rosenbaum, I think his name was. Right. That, that was a race uh, riot in a sense. That was that was a pogrom or cl- as close to a pogrom as we've had in this country. Okay. So you're right. It's That wasn't that long ago in our collective memories. Still, I think especially – Again, to go back into the, what was happening in Crown Heights uh, with Chabad and uh, Gavin Cato's death uh, as he was uh, run over by the Rebbe's motorcade uh, as he was driving on the way to uh, the Tzion of his father-in-law, to Davin, is a pretty complex little story uh, because you know, clearly uh, there had been a lot of simmering tensions between Chabad Chassidim and the African-American community there. Which I think is really the 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 issue, and many people have, have emphasized this is that most of these attacks, I think almost all of the ones that that have made headlines, uh, have been African Americans have been the people that have been, and again, they happen to be it happens to be African American people that seem to be attacking Jewish people. And this, I think, is a very scary thing to contemplate, which I think it might be a little bit different than what you were talking about in terms of, you know, kids from a different neighborhood. There seems to be some boiling animosity in the, Af- at least in some part of the African-American community leveled towards the Hasidic Jewish community. Is that true? I think what that's think? true. I think you don't, I mean, I think you could change that statement and substitute Instead of saying African-American community, you could say in the African-American leadership. I mean, there are members of the African-American leadership who clearly, for whatever reason, either are resentful of, perhaps they're resentful of Jewish success and, 
and resentful of whatever, but they espouse anti-Semitic themes. So if uh, Farrakhan is calling us termites, and I think it's a big step to say, what do you do with termites? You know, you get an exterminator and, and kill them. To me, it doesn't seem like a, a big stretch. I, it starts with even, leadership. I think even in Jersey City, it was quite well known. I think one of the members of the school board um, refused to apologize over comments that she had made saying that we need to actually look at these attackers, these murderers, and see that their actions might bring forth some sort of great truth that we need to contemplate, which is that the Jews had come into these areas in Jersey City and forced people to sell their houses and had used the most aggressive tactics to get them to sell and threatened to turn their houses into vice dens if they wouldn't sell in their communities and that they were waving uh, money all over the place. I, I don't know if you heard about that, but this was... I, I didn't, but, uh, you know, that's a typical anti-Semitic uh, remark. Um, is it possible that there's a, an unscrupulous uh, Jewish or Hasidic guy who was trying to buy a house who, who made comments like that? Sure, it's possible. But as a community, that's absolutely ridiculous and absurd. And to, to oh. imply that somehow as a community, we deserve uh, the, the hatred of people because we have some uh, a bad person or a couple of bad people amongst us is com- as, as ridiculous as saying that it's okay to hate black people because there's uh, there are some criminals who are black. I mean, that's that's completely absurd. And okay, so so let me push back on two on two fronts here. I guess the first thing is like we always talk about me and you. What is the terror perspective? What should we do? These terrible things are occurring. What do we need to do in terms of, as a people? What needs to be this artifice? What needs to be what we have to work on? From the first things that you've said here tonight, you're saying you don't think it's much different. You think the zeitgeist of the times really has brought these crazies out in the front, the same way these crazies are acting out in Sandy Hook and all the other places where they have perpetrated things over the last five, six, or seven years. And this is really just... uh a an example of it striking at us but really many many communities and many people have been fought by this so there's nothing really to be perhaps to take into consideration i think that's what you were saying before which what i would say okay that's a sociological explanation but yet as we know and we talked about this rambam and ilkastainus all the time when a tsara occurs towards us despite what we know from atmospheric conditions and what's happening in terms of geopolitical wars, we have got to realize how central we are to God's plans in the world. And when things happen to us, then we need to somehow make a special cheshbon and and decide what we have to do. So that's, that's where I would put it on, on one level, you know, appealing to the politicians to, to make, to have these marches is one thing. And the question is, is this something that we need to somehow think about and appeal to God and figure out what is it that's going on? The second thing I would say is there was a very cogent article by Rabbi Alderstein. He was in the Wiesenthal Center, and he's now living in Eretz Yisrael full-time. And he spoke about what he saw uh, meeting African-American leaders, that there's a problem between uh, our attitudes towards the African-American community. And there is a dismissiveness that I think still uh, uh, comes to the surface, especially uh, in the yeshiva veld towards the African-American community, a lack of sensitivity and understanding of what they've been through in this country. And I think 
they have antenna like all of us do, and they can pick this up. What I would say is we need to work on sensitivity training in the yeshivish schools, in the chassidish schools, and I, I think that's paramount and important. What do you, what, what's your response to that? Well, you're blindsiding me because we didn't discuss this before this conversation, not recently anyway, but yeah. you know, I think you know me well enough to know my my position on this. I think it's horrific the way African-Americans are spoken about by many Hasidim and many in the yeshivish community as well. Right. I think the fact That's that right. it's ever tolerated by any Rabbanim and any Rabbeim is horrible, inexcusable, and has to stop immediately. So uh, I, I agree with that 100%. I don't think that it excuses attacks, and I don't think that it excuses... Right, but, but, but if we have to, but if we have have to, to look, make a cheshbon... Yes, if we have to make a cheshbon on Nefesh, that's one place. And it's it's constantly mind-boggling to me how we can be raising kids, teaching them about all the persecution that we've gone through in the last 3,000 years, and yet at the same time, they uh, seem to be completely callous to the experience of African Americans in this country. I, I agree with you 150%. There's not not even a slight... At the same time, now, to go to your, your first point, though, in terms of the Cheshman and Nefesh, well, you, you know, you link them very well, but but I, I, what I would say is that before that Cheshman and Nefesh, the first thing we have to do is take actual measures like living in today's world. Every shul needs to have some sort of safety plan. There needs to be people who are armed and trained to defend ourselves. <laughs> I, okay, I think that has to be a topic for another part too for me. Okay, but uh, you know, arming everyone. I'm not saying I, arming I, everyone. I, I actually <laughs> even arming. Okay, even arming a greater amount. Uh, of of the population of the shul goers of the I, I think is I, I think it's a big mistake. But I don't think it has to be a greater problem. population. It could be one or two people, but you should have at least the ability. Look at what happened in that in that uh, church recently a week or two ago, where many many more people would have died if not for the fact that they had a security team and the security team acted and shot him. But you're right. We could talk about that another time. My point was really that I'm sure that the Rambam would agree that before the Cheshman and Nefesh, there has to, or at least along with it, there has to be Heshtadlus. When we react to, to Tsaris and to things that happen, we also have to be practical at the same time that we look for deeper reasons. So I just wanted to mention that, that, I, that I agree that we have to look for the deeper reasons. I do agree that the African-American community probably picks up on the fact that many in our community look down at them. I have to say that I was horrified when my daughter, this is already, uh, you know, almost uh, 15, almost 13 years ago, but when she came home from school with some sort of a medrash that she learned about black people, and that therefore it's terrible that we have Barack Obama as our president or something like that, that she learned in the base Yaakov. I mean, that's just hor- horrific. And I, I immediately pulled up his uh, credentials, uh, Obama, and showed that he was the editor of the Yale Law Review. Uh, or is it Harvard Law Review? I don't even remember. But uh, and I explained to her Harvard. at the time, Harvard, yeah, I explained to her at the time that, you know, they don't give that job to people who are who are unintelligent. And and I, I was, you know, I, I, I wanted to march in there, but I know what happens when you march in and make a machal like that, you know, people don't take you seriously, but it's it's horrible. It's terrible. And I agree that that's something that we really need to work on. So it's possible, again, along with, mourning all the the losses and 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 really feeling for the victims we need to really across the board we need some sensitivity training and understanding it's never fair it's never going to be fair we can't say well the fact we are the am kadosh and we are the uh the school of the world we are the mamlechas 
Kayanim. And it, it, we can't go for quid pro quo. So we, we can't say, well, how come we have to do it and you don't have to do it? I think it's incumbent on us. The, look, the Meshugana who hears the average person talking about what the Jews are doing is unfortunately going to react. We have to quell that type of conversation. We have to work on making a Kiddush Hashem. You know, let, let's end here with one story. In the Shiva Vaiditi, as you know, we have our building, which is right in the middle of a city that is experiencing, I think, a pretty strong renaissance in terms of growth and building. And actually, uh, a lot of that renaissance is happening from Orthodox Jews who are investing in the in the city, in the inner city, in downtown, and building stuff up. And the African-American community is working with those builders and with those investors in order to have it in the very best way possible. So one of the Hasidic fellows who works in Newark comes to our yeshiva to daven and is part of our one of our minyanim. And he came to me in order to get a card to be able to go in and out of the building without having to stop at the desk of the African-American Muslim woman who lets everybody in. He just didn't want to have to deal with that. He wanted to be able to just get the card. And of course, I said, you're not really a member of the yeshiva. I don't think I have the right to just give you a card for that. But I said to him, it's true, it might take a minute or two, but why don't you look at this as an opportunity? Here you are, dressed like a Hasidic man with a beard and long payas. You have a chance to go to this woman every day and say, hello, how are you? Thank you. And you have a, a chance to make a Kiddush Hashem every single time you do that. And even though you might get out of the parking lot a couple of minutes later, you have all that Kiddush Hashem every single time that happens. And I think that if, if we take that type of attitude, then I think there's going to be less of the masses speaking about how the Jews are just after our, our houses and they, they, they just want to take over. And I think we'll, we'll be able to not only make a Kiddush Hashem, but also hopefully we can save some lives as well. Yeah, I think that's a great point. It's a great story. And I, um, I think that that's a, a great message and one that all of us probably could practice more, right? That we can always grow in this, in this area. I do want to mention two things as we close. One is I think that there's a problem in the rest of the Jewish community, meaning Jews who are not Hasidic or yeshivish. I've, you know, I've, I've been involved in, in many different areas of Jewish life. And there are a lot of biases against Hasidic Jews. There's a lot of resentment about them. And a lot of the talk, the negative talk about Hasidic Jews is not only done by non-Jews. So um, one of the things that uh, I don't know exactly how to approach it, but it'd be something to think about is, you know, we don't have to uh, accept and embrace what Reform and conservative Jews think about traditional Torah Judaism. But we, it, it really is uh, a problem when there's such a divide, when they, when they feel so rejected by us that their defense mechanism causes them to put us down and to um, be demeaning about us because that adds to the secular conversation. They're much more part of the secular world. So I think that's that's an interesting uh, aside and maybe also deserves some more thought in a different conversation. And the second thing that I wanted to say is that we started talking about my opinion that this is sort of just a progression of what's been going on for a long time. I just wanted to mention that I put out a music video called Protocols about the Protocols of the Elders of Zion about uh, 13 years ago. And uh, we're going to put a link in the uh, description of, of this podcast. But one of the most fascinating... Yes, I, 
Go ahead. And I want to give it. I want to give it two thumbs up as well. I just uh, reacquainted myself with it, and it's it's it has held the the test of time very well. It has aged very very well. Well, the video quality hasn't, but the but the message has, I believe. And also, one of the most fascinating things about it is if you scroll down and read the comments. I, I, I tried as much as possible not to allow the comments that use profanity, although in, in some cases I was unable to, and the comments were just too precious to not okay, because there, there are uh, tons of anti-Semitic comments to this song that is clearly tongue-in-cheek and, 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 and expressing how ridiculous anti-Semitism is, and people can't stop themselves. It's fascinating to see that. So the song is, is I think it's a good song, and if you want to listen to it, you can. But I urge you also to read the comments afterwards because uh, I think that they are really telling about how, what anti-Semitism really is and how it is not something that's logical. It's something that really goes way beyond. Well, again, this is what Chazal tell us that, you know, this is, uh, what is it, what is the Lushen that, uh, Halacha Misurbia Deinu of Son Yaakov, that it's something which isn't, it, it defies logic and it's something yeah. that's always going to be with us. And as the Nitziv and others said, as people tried to deal with the terrible anti-Semitism of the end of the 19th century, the pogroms and all that, this is not something which we can just fight on, in a, on a sociological and, and a political level. It's something that I think is, is really connected to the essence of who we are. And it's many times I think it's a barometer about where we have to be better. And when the anti-Semitism occurs, that should be a wake-up call that we have to look inward uh, towards ourselves. All right, so that's about it for this this session. And as most people say when they end podcasts, like us on iTunes or whatever platform you're hearing us on. Leave us a review and let other people know about it. This has been Part Sufim. I'm Avram Kivalevich. I'm Small Skase. Please join us in the future for more episodes.
Some people think that I am damned Some people think that I should pack up all my bags And get out of the promised land You see the protocols of the elders of Zion the truth And I am a member of standing Our goal is to milk all the money from you It's world domination we're planning Oh no, 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 I've let the cat right out of the bag Will you please keep my secret, I pray Cause I'm undercover as a singer-songwriter Right here at the sidewalk cafe Some people ask if I speak English Some people stare at me when I pray Some people want to know if I know the Kabbalah And have trouble when the answer is Why don't you ask Madonna? Some people think that that's my right Some people think that I am damned Some people think that I'm a real threat to world freedom And that I will turn their oil into sand You see the protocols of the elders of Zion are true And I am a member of standing Our goal is to milk all the money from you It's world domination we're planning Oh no, there I go, I'm with the cat right out of the bag Will you please keep my secret, I pray I'm undercover as a singer-songwriter right here at the Sidewalk Cafe. Cause I'm undercover as a singer-songwriter right here at the Sidewalk Cafe. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 